It's great to uh, stand outside and greet some of you folks that are joining for the first time. Um, if you're here for the first time, we've actually been going through a series this summer. We're hearing from various diverse voices to come and preach God's Word. And this morning, I am especially honored to introduce to you a good, good friend of mine. I've known Sean for, I want to say, about five, six years. Sean Marshall uh, currently is the pastor of Community Covenant Church in Calumet City. Um, it's about 60 years old, Sean, is that right? 60 years old. And, uh, and he's been a senior pastor there, I think, for about a couple years, two, three years, when he got the call. Uh, I asked him this morning along a number of things that he does. For example, he was also director of church planting for one of our conferences in our denomination. And there's a huge heart for God's mission being fulfilled. And that's one of the reasons why we want to hear from him this morning. Many of you know that at New Community, we preach to form you for mission. And Sean does that just about as well as anybody. I asked him this morning, I said, what is one thing that uh, you want me to particularly mention this morning? And he leaned over and he said, uh, remind him that I have a three-month-old daughter named Sage um, and his wife, Veronica, who is unable to be here this morning. So he's a new dad, so I'm sure he's tired, he's exhausted, but grateful to have him here. So will you give Sean a warm new community welcome? Amen. I want to pray for you, brother. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Brother Sean, his life, his passion, his gifts. We thank you, God, for bringing him here this morning because we know that you have a word for us through him. May our ears be open, our hearts be fertile. May we receive what you have for us. None of us here is here by accident this morning. Help us encounter you in a new and fresh way. Speak to us in the particular specific areas and ways in which we need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. You know where we are. Use your vessel this morning. We lift them up to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. He said, I'm tired. I'm not tired. No, just getting ready to pass out. That's all. You know. Anybody have a newborn or anywhere close to a newborn? Okay, good. Y'all have energy to just pray for me and my strength. Um, but it's good to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, I am pastoring Community Covenant Church, and we are a 60-year-old church. And I'm preaching this morning. I told my wife I'm preaching at New Community Covenant this morning. And she said, oh, so you're not preaching at Old Community Covenant this morning. I said, yeah, I'm preaching for my friend, and I'm excited to be here. Um, I love what God is doing in this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I love what I'm seeing in these pews. Um, I see only something that God could do. And so I'm excited and honored to share with you all this morning. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, um, because... Uh, they gave me a time frame to stay in, and, you know, uh, in, in, in the church I, I tend to preach from in on Sunday mornings, uh, I, I preach anywhere from two to three hours, and folks sit there, and so Pastor Peter asked me to make sure that I keep it under two. 
And so I know that you all are going to be okay if I, if I let you out of here by about 12.30. Would that be all right? That'd be good? Good. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Are you ready for the Word of God? Now let me give you a tip too. Um, if you want me to shorten my message from two hours to an hour and a half and then maybe an hour and a half to 60 minutes, let me share something with you. Um, uh, I forgot to say this at the beginning and, and Pastor Peter didn't mention it. Um, I'm black. And so I forgot to share that. So I'm a black preacher. And so that's a whole other different kind of thing. And so what happens with uh, some black preachers, not all, but some, is we tend to preach faster when you talk back to us. So like if you say stuff like amen, or that's what's up, or hootie hoo, or something, anything, if you talk back, that will let me know that you understand what I'm saying. If you sit completely silent on me, it will make me think that you don't understand what I'm saying, which will make me say it over and over again, make me actually preach longer. Oh, see, you got me. All right, just, just you. You've been my amen section right here. All right. Acts chapter 1, you ready? Let's look at verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Somebody say power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. You all, um, I want to speak today for a few moments from the topic from here to there. From here to there. Um, it was March of 1998. I was actually in college and um, sidebar for this story, at the time I was driving a 1986 Chrysler New Yorker, Fifth Avenue edition, had the fat white wallers, gangster white wallers with TV antennas in the back. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, it was a beautiful car. This was the car that I drove back and forth to college. Um, so one time I was on my way back from college um, going home, and when I got home, my grandmother shared with me that her father had passed away. So this was my great-grandfather. Now she was born in Durant, Mississippi, okay? Um, so those, how many of y'all are from the South? Anybody in the room from the South? This is awesome, okay. So, uh, when you're from the South, you don't need as many syllables as they give you for words, so it was really Durant, Mississippi, okay? So she's from Durant, Mississippi, so she decides she wants to go down to Mississippi 
for the funeral. So I start looking up flights, and she starts looking at me like I'm not getting on any kind of plane. I don't trust them planes. So I say, okay, well, I'll gas up my car. Remember my 86 Chrysler New Yorker, right? Um, so I gas up my car thinking that she and I are going to go down, just me and just her, are going to go down to Durant, Mississippi for her father's funeral. I get back to the house and I find out that my mom and my uncles and my aunts had gotten together and they had rented a 15-passenger van for my entire family. Who said yes? No. Um, for my entire family to drive down in one car to go about 14 hours to drive down to Mississippi. My entire family, my uncle who wakes up in the morning drunk, my aunt who's still mad at my uncle for something he did in 76, my claustrophobic cousin, and my OCD auntie. This is a very true story. Don't laugh at my pain. So we get in this van and we don't even make it halfway out of Illinois and my grandmother and my uncle are in an argument. My grandmother says, why are you not taking 55? Why are you not taking, no, she said, why are you not taking 57? And my uncle says, well, I'm supposed to take 55. 55 is the expressway that will get us down south. She says, you need to start 57. He says, no, we should take 55. She says, you need to take 57, I'm your mama. He says, no, we need to take 55. All of a sudden, my mother starts yelling from the back of the van about the thing she's now upset with him about from 76. And so there's this big drama that erupts in the car. My claustrophobic cousin wants to get out of the car, and now there's drama, and we haven't even made the trip. Now watch this. We get to the funeral. When we get to the funeral, we were late for the funeral. We were an hour late for the funeral. So we get to the funeral, and after the funeral, somebody looks at my grandmother and says, well, what happened? What, what, what made you guys so late? Why'd you get here so late? And she says, he wanted to take 55. <laughs> and they looked at him and they said, boy, don't you know you're supposed to take 57? Y'all would have got here three hours ago. Now, watch this. The problem was not the destination. Everybody in the van knew where we were going. The problem was not the reason. Everybody knew why we were going. The problem was we could not agree on the route. The problem was not the destination. The problem was we didn't have agreement about the directions. And you all, I believe that there is a word from the Lord for us as individuals, but not just us as individuals. Back up a step. All right, I'll do that. But for us as a community. He asked me how much do I move. I said I move a little bit. And then I, I said I'll, I'll, they'll let me know if I move too much. And they just did. Um, our problem is not the destination. We obsess about the destination. We obsess about vision. We have vision board parties, and we have uh, goal workshops, and we get real excited thinking about the future when we're kids. We dream about when we're gonna be grown-ups. When we're grown-ups, we dream about being married. When we get married, we dream about having kids. When we have kids, we dream about having another kid. When we have kids, we dream about being retired. And then when we're retired, we dream about the past. Isn't that interesting? We spend our time being consumed with vision and consumed with the future and consumed with the destination, but the problem is almost never the destination. The problem is the route. The problem is not there. The problem that we have is getting from here to there. It's navigating the transition moments. 
It's navigating and walking from where we are to where we believe God wants us to be. We get excited when we believe God is speaking to us about our purpose and about our destiny. That's a buzzword now. You can turn on any Christian TV station and you'll hear people talking about destiny. And motivational speakers talking about destiny. Books written on destiny. And we have Destiny Fest and Destiny Conferences. And we get real excited about the idea of thinking about what's to come. But we don't really think a lot about how we actually walk from here to there. And I think the Lord wants us to remember this morning that it's not enough for us to be so consumed and to start thinking about our goal and our vision and our future and making an idol out of that. That's what we got to be careful about. It's not about us focusing on the destination. It's about us saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in my life in the in-between? God, help me not ignore how you're moving and how you're operating in the middle moments. I like to call them the middle moments. These moments of transition. And I believe there are people in this room who are at different stages in their life in transition, moving from here to there. You might be in college. You might be a young professional trying to figure out how you're going to make six figures in your 20s. You might be somebody who's saying, well, I don't know what God has in store for my future. I, I see that missionary being called overseas, and I believe that God is calling me, so when is that going to happen? And somebody in the room may say, I'm called to ministry. Well, when am I? And you envision yourself what, you're gonna, what your life is going to look like when you're preaching and when you're ministering and when you're going out and doing the will of the Lord. But there's the middle moments that we often ignore. It's not the stuff in the future, but the decisions we make every day along the route that determine how we get from here to there. In our text from Acts 1, we see the Lord's disciples in a critical moment of transition. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, you all, so we know that these guys and these ladies, they did some incredible things. God used them in powerful ways. We see the beautiful community that in, it's in Acts chapter 2. We see that blessed community, that compelling Christian community that was so awesome that nobody wanted to go home. We see that. We see that great theological discussion that happens when they decide that we're going to share the gospel with the Gentiles and we're not going to exclude them anymore. And we see that the book records that these are the people who literally turn the world upside down, right? So we see all of that. And we tend to think maybe, well, these guys had it together all the time from the beginning. But there were some things that happened in this chapter, Acts chapter 1, that I think we don't pay enough attention to that would really give us some direction in these middle moments. Do you want to figure out what these things are? All right, let's figure this out. Let's look at this. These were ordinary people, you all. And when Jesus goes to the cross, this was after they'd spent years just following him just watching him do great stuff. Can you imagine being with Jesus? I mean, I know he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you that you're his own and the joy you share when you tarry there and none other has it. But can you actually imagine like being there when he was at the wedding and he turned the water into wine? You would be following it everywhere with your water bottle. Do it again, Jesus, do it again, do it again, right? They were with him. So then he dies. And then they go through this despair and grief, but then he gets back up again. And they're like, great, this is awesome. He's back. Okay, now we can keep going with watching him do great stuff. The problem with that is he had already told them over in John, greater works than these shall you do. 
So in Acts chapter 1, they're waiting for him to say, okay, now, are you getting ready to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had put on Jesus the expectation that he would be a great natural king, an earthly ruler, and that he would enter their world. Listen, that he would enter their world and rule their world and make them comfortable in their world. But Jesus was calling them into his kingdom so that they could be changed and then go out and change the world. So in Acts 1, he says, he answers their question because he's alive and, and they're like, okay, now are you going to start your campaign? Are you going to run for president now, Jesus? Are you going to take over? And he says, listen, listen, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that are ordained by the Father. But let me tell you this, but you shall receive power and you will be transformed. You will be witnesses. Now he's challenging their expectations a little bit. Because they didn't really want to be witnesses. They were expecting to be constituents. They were expecting him to be the person that would give them what they wanted. They were expecting him to be the person that would give them the life that they were dreaming about. You're the one who's going to come and move in political power and bring victory and restore the kingdom to Israel and make Israel great again. I'm not going there. Calm down. It's Sunday. You're going to restore us. You're going to make us look great. You're going to make us feel great. You're going to make us be great. And he's like, yeah, no. This is not about what you want. I'm not coming to make you a constituent, a happy constituent. I'm not coming to make you a fulfilled consumer. I have come that you might be a catalyst. I've come to radically transform you so that you can radically transform your family and radically transform your block and radically transform your job and radically transform your community and radically transform your world and draw them into my family and do a life with me. That's why I've come. I've not come to enter your world. I've come to call you out of your world into mine. And so they're looking at this and they're like, well, this is not what we talked about. This ain't what we signed up for. He says, listen, I want you to be witnesses. One of the things that trips us up from here to there is we first, point number one if you're taking notes, we first have to embrace God's purpose. We have to embrace God's purpose. You will mess your life up coming up with your own purpose and asking God to bless that. You have to embrace his purpose for your life. He says, I've called you to be witnesses. I want you to embrace this and enter into this that you might be changed, that you might witness firsthand what I'm able to do and go and give testimony to others. Now, he says witnesses and not spectators. The disciples struggle with this, just like we struggle with it today. How do I know the disciples struggle with it? Because the Bible says in verse 9 that Jesus ascends up into the heavens and the disciples sit there and they're watching him ascend and it literally is like this. Wow. He's really going up there, y'all. I mean, this is different from when he walked on the water. This is, this is pretty impressive. So they're just sitting there watching him. And the Bible says that an angel comes along. God had to send an angel 
Jesus leaves, God sent an angel and say, hey, why are you sitting here looking up into the clouds? The same Jesus who left like that is going to come back like that. In other words, your job is not to sit here and watch him. Your job is to get up and move because he just got finished saying, you know how sometimes as disciples we're stuck on stupid? He just got through saying, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Er, Samaria, for real? You know we don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. It's going to take me a minute to deal with that. Samaria, not only Samaria, but everywhere. The uttermost parts of the world. And after Jesus tells them they're getting ready to be changed, to be witnesses everywhere, they sit and they watch because that's what they have become accustomed to. The Christianity that many of us have been oriented to is one where we are transformed into spectators and not witnesses. Where we gladly watch other people do great things for God and miss the fact that this is something that we've all been invited to. That there are no Christian heroes or Christian superstars or Christian celebrities and we're not supposed to be sitting in the pews and watching them and looking at them forever. That God wants to make this about us being changed so that we can go out and be witnesses who testify firsthand about what we have seen God do. I can tell you that he can break the power of drugs in your life because he did it for me. This isn't hearsay because hearsay is inadmissible in a court of law. I know it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've lived it. And I know this to be true. Anytime you put me on the spot, I'll testify about it. That's what he's invited us into. Out of our comfort and into his call. Secondly, if you want to get from here to there, first you got to embrace God's purpose. Secondly, you got to experience God's presence. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 again. Is that all right if we look at some scripture? Let's look at Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this so you don't think I'm making this up. Verse 12. So the angel comes and they get up and they go back to the upper room. Now, the Bible says in verse 12, they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, a Sabbath day's journey. Luke is a very descriptive and detailed writer. He doesn't mention things haphazardly. So he says, they went back to, the, back to Jerusalem, back to the upper room about a Sabbath day's journey. When you see that, what is a Sabbath day's journey? Sabbath day's journey was about 2,000 paces. And this is a code from the Old Testament that on the Sabbath day, you were only allowed to travel about 2,000 paces. And this distance was determined based upon the distance between the, outest, the outermost point at the edge of the camp when they were in the wilderness, the outermost point at the edge of the camp, all the way up to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. So what they said was, listen, this is how far you can travel. This is how far you can go. We don't want you to go so far that you're more than 2,000 paces away from the presence of God. So Jesus, I believe, intentionally leads them out of Jerusalem 2,000 paces and sends them back to Jerusalem 2,000 paces because Jesus understands what's getting ready to happen. He knows that they're getting ready to experience the transforming power of God in a way that they have never experienced it before. Because when they get back to the upper room, we'll later see at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes into the place and transforms them. You've got to experience God's presence. 
Because if, if Pastor Sean, if I accept what you're saying, if I accept that Jesus is not coming into my world to bring comfort to my world, but he's actually coming into my world to change me, to be a change agent and a catalyst, then how do I become changed? You only become changed by experiencing the presence of God in your life, which is why we show you and talk to you about worship, which is why we give you opportunities to learn more about prayer which is why we teach you things about Sabbath keeping and about the disciplines and why we talk to you about these practices that you can have to absorb and know that God is with you. Be still and know that I am God. That's why we talk to you about it because we recognize that the only thing that will change us into who we're called and created to be is when we take responsibility for experiencing the presence of God. And this is something that you can't just do one day out of a week. So there was a man and his wife, and they were having marital issues, and uh, they decided that they needed to save the marriage, and they needed outside help, so they go to a therapist. And they sit down with the therapist, and the therapist asks, so, so what's going on with you guys? What's wrong? And the man just sits there. He lowers his head, looks down at his feet, because he knows what's getting ready to happen. And the wife looks up and she goes mile a minute on everything that he does wrong. And he's so nasty and he's disgusting and I have to clean up after him and he never keeps his promises, he never keeps his word and he never listens to me and blah, 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 blah. And she goes on and she starts venting out of her pain and venting out of her frustration with this man. And so the therapist listens and the therapist leans in closer to the woman. The therapist scoots up his chair. The therapist attends, you know, he's actively listening. He looks at her, and after a moment, he grabs her hand, and after a moment, then he puts his hand on her shoulder, and then 50 minutes into the session, he pulls her up, and he just holds her. She's crying, and holds her, and he hugs her. He looks at the husband, and he says, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. Did you see what I just did? Your wife needs this from you at least two times a week, at least two times a week, just to be present with her. Your wife needs this at least two times a week. And the husband says, okay, are you available on Tuesdays and Thursdays? <laughs> he didn't get that he had to engage his wife. He had to be present with her. We have that mindset, you all. We'd rather come and watch other people experience God. This is very true in my Christian experience. It's awesome to come to church sometimes and watch other people worship. It's awesome to come to church and watch other people. It's just sometimes you just watch and you just, wow, what are they doing? What are they experiencing? But you know what? God invites all of us into that. He invites all of us to experience his transforming presence. And then after we experience his presence, he says, I want you to engage God's people. We're talking about getting from here to there because there are some relationships you're going to need on your journey. If you're gonna make it successfully through some of the transitions I've ordained for your life, there's some relationships you're gonna need and those relationships might not be with people who are like you. So remember, let's think for a moment, remember who's in the upper room, okay? You got Peter. Now Peter was a bit of a hothead, okay? Soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden and we discover that Peter is packing a piece. He has a sword on him. And he says, you're not coming to take my savior? Cow slices the soldiers ear off. And Jesus said, man, I can't take you nowhere. Here, man, here's your ear. Put the back on. You all right? You doing good? And so Peter is 
a guy who flies off at the handle, he's pretty angry, he's motivated and driven by his feelings, right? He talks a good game, never shuts up. Then you've got Thomas. Now, Thomas was a doubter. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is risen unless I can put my hand in his side. How weird and creepy is that? That you want to put your hand in somebody's open wound. But Jesus is cool like that. He says, come on, you can do that because I recognize you need to connect with me on a deeper level. It's fine. Come on, let me draw you in closer. And then you have John. John was the beloved disciple, right? Okay. Who tells us that John was the beloved disciple? John. Matthew didn't remember that. Mark didn't record that. I'm not saying the Bible is a lie. I'm just saying the other writers forgot that John was the beloved, the one whom Jesus loved, right? So John, let's just say John probably has this really confident sense of his own character, right? But all these people are in the upper room because they need each other. And God calls us into relationship with people whose personalities are unique and different, but people that we need. God calls us and God transforms us through relationships that are different from us. God, this man has no idea how much the Lord has used him to impact my life. And in some ways we're radically different, in some ways we're a lot alike. I watched a few clips of him preaching and you know how he raises his voice sometimes. I was like, oh, I do that too. That's cool. But then there are some things that I've learned from him and seen from him and that God has used to change me that would not have happened had I stayed in my comfort box. And so we have to expand our parameters to engage different people. And this church is so awesome because you have an opportunity to do that like no other place can. I believe God is calling you into a unique situation where there'll be people who are drawn here that you would have never decided to talk to on your own. But as you are intentional to engage them, God will change you and teach you things and show you things that will be important for your journey. So not only do you engage God's people, <clears throat> then you endure God's process. You endure God's process. Somebody say process. process. People hate process in our day. You know, we get mad when we're waiting five minutes in the fast food line. If something takes more than two minutes to warm up in the microwave, we get upset. I could have just, you know, cooked this in the stove, right? We want things quickly. We don't like process. Now, Jesus says earlier in the chapter, he says, in a few days, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, uh, most historians believe that it was actually about 10 days between the time that he ascended and what we see happen in Acts chapter 2. Now, I don't know about you, but a few days ain't 10. Maybe I'm just impatient. Maybe I just, you know, but if you ask me for a few dollars, I'm pulling out two or three singles. If you want a 10, you better ask for a 10. Okay? Have you seen the gas prices? If you want a 10, you better tell me 10. A few is something I can count on my fingers. So watch this. The disciples had to learn that in some ways, God's concept of time is different from our own. We get impatient. We don't like to wait. Because now they're sitting there, and while they're waiting, they do something that God never asks them to do. Jesus never told them to do this. They said, Peter stands up at the end of that chapter, and he says, listen, I know why Jesus hasn't come back yet. 
because Judas killed himself. He preaches this great sermon, very descriptive, lots of drama in the sermon. He says, Judas killed himself in the field of blood and his bowels came gushing out. That's an awesome sermon, his bowels came because he just killed himself. And he says, listen, we've got to replace the 12th disciple. That's why Jesus has a return. He's waiting for us to pick somebody else. Did Jesus ever say that? Did Jesus ever say that? Did we read that anywhere? You gotta have 12 people. Where do we get some of the stuff from that we do in church? So they decide, okay, so Peter prays his prayer. He says, Lord, show us who you want to go along with us. Show us who you've called into this mighty ministry that we might go into our place. They pray. And then as soon as they get through praying, the Bible says that they drew straws. Because God didn't answer them. Because God didn't have an answer for this dumb question. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands. So they said, okay, all right, disciples need a new apostle. Let's roll the dice. Come on here. Who's got Matthias? Who's got... And so they choose Matthias. Do you hear anything else about Matthias in the New Testament? Why? Because God never told them that. So when we're waiting, we got to be careful that we don't do things that make sense to our own minds. Sometimes you all, we just have to develop the discipline of waiting of waiting on God, of letting the process transform us. No lie, true story. I forgot that I was gonna be preaching this and I would need this for this point. I was just hungry. Just the other day, I decided to make some um, uh, chicken and dumplings. I found a recipe on Pinterest. Pinterest is awesome. Found a recipe on Pinterest that called for can of biscuits, couple of um, slices of chicken breast, some frozen peas, and a couple of cans of soup and celery. I throw all this stuff into the slow cooker, and it says just set on high and cook for five hours. That's all I had to do was put it in the pot and let it sit. I came back checking it like every 30 minutes, lifting up the pot, smelling it, wondering is it good to eat, digging at the chicken, chicken's still pink. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I contaminated this fork now, I gotta throw this fork in the sink. Just let, my wife says, just let it sit. The flavors have to marry. The stuff has to get in there, the chicken has to cook. And so sure enough, after five hours of me just leaving the thing alone, everything cooked perfectly. Sometimes you all, we have to resist the temptation of being driven by our ego and driven by our flesh and driven by the brilliance of our own thought and just letting God be God. God hasn't spoken to me about what I'm supposed to do. Okay, what was the last instruction that he gave you? God is sort of like GPS. You ever been using GPS going somewhere and the GPS hasn't said anything? So you tap it and when you tap it, it says, continue ahead. <laughs> and you're like, no, I know that. I don't know this road exactly but I think I've gone too far. You tap it again, continue on this road. Follow the last directive God gave you. What is it with our society now that we just cannot wait on the Lord? When you're waiting, God does something in your heart. When you're waiting, you're engaging those relationships. When you're waiting, you're gaining wisdom that you're not gonna be able to get later when you get where it is that God's calling you to go. And then finally, my friends, you can expect God's power. 
Embrace God's purpose. Experience God's presence. Engage God's people. Endure God's process and expect God's power. They did what Jesus told them to do. And one day while they were praying, planning's good. We should plan. We should plan all the we should we should plan. We should be diligent in our planning. But while they were praying, preaching is great. We should be preaching until Jesus returns. But while they were praying, praise is good. I come from a good Baptocostal tradition. You know what Baptocostal is. Baptocostal is when you start the service with a hymn and you end the service with a shout and a dance. Right? I love it. But watch this. Not while they were praising. While they were praying. While they were seeking God. While they were saying, God, what do you have to say to us? God, we've waited. We've done some things. And, and we didn't always get it right. And, and maybe we shouldn't have done the Matthias thing. But now we're stuck with Matthias. It's all good. But God, what do you want to do with us? While they're praying, the Holy Spirit comes in and the power of God changes them, changes the way they communicate, changes their witness, empowers them to reach people that they can't reach in their own strength, empowers them in such a way. Now, people of different cultures and nations say, wait a minute, this gospel, what you're saying, it's making some sense. I can hear my native language. What's wrong with these folk? Are they drunk? Now, Peter, who just a few chapters ago was cussing and cutting people, now he stands up and he says, these folk are not drunk. You know why? It's too early. You know we don't get drunk at this time of day. They're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. And all of a sudden, this regular cat, this regular dude, this fisherman, none of the disciples, none of the 12 were rabbis. None of them were pastors. None of them were bishops. These were marketplace folk. These were young guys. These were, older, these were regular people. Regular people. Now this regular guy is preaching the gospel so powerfully that three thousand people decided I can't leave this I have to be connected to this what was that was that was Peter it was because Peter was so smart no was it because Peter always got everything right no it was because he prayed and when he prayed the power of God radically transformed him moved through his personality and used him for the glory of God church We've got to get from here to there. It's not enough to become content with where we are. The devil is in that. The devil wants you to get to a place of contentment. I just want to be, I just want to be content with my life. No, 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 no. The contentment is in the journey. The contentment is in following God. Wherever you are leading me, God, I'm going. God, I don't have to wait to get to a place, but I realize you're calling me, you're always calling me to a place. And so I'm surrendered to following you in this process. I'm gonna do what you're inviting me to do every day. If, you, if you're looking for another book to read, there's an excellent book called The Will of God as a Way of Life by Jerry Sitzer. The Will of God as a Way of Life by Jerry Sitzer. He says, people struggle so much with, what is the will of God for my life? Where is my life going? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And he says, what if the will of God is just you saying yes to God every day? 
What if the will of God is just you waking up today and saying, God, whatever you have for me today, I'll say yes to it. What if the will of God is saying, God, you know what? I just want your purpose for my life. What if the will of God is working with what you know and letting God control what you don't know? What if the will of God is you just saying, let me just embrace my brother and my sister. Let me just endure whatever it is that God has me in right now. I don't like it, but the Lord loves me, and I know that he's not going to ordain anything for my life that's going to be harmful to me. And so since I know that, let me just allow this process to do in me whatever is the Lord's. And God, as I go to bed tonight, give me the grace tomorrow to say yes to you. What if we just lived a life of surrender to him in this journey? where we depended on him moment by moment for the direction and become less consumed with how it's all going to end in the future. We just said, yes, Lord. Father, we say yes, Lord, to you. We realize that you have called us into something greater. God, I believe I'm here on assignment today because you've called this church into something great. But God, that greatness is actually not our responsibility. That's a work of your Holy Spirit. Our responsibility, Lord, is to surrender to your directions as you give them. Our responsibility is to be accountable to what we already know and not to fantasize or make an idol out of the things that we don't hold on to. We don't hold the future, you hold it. We don't know the future, you know it, and it's okay. God, it's okay that I don't know where my life is gonna end up when I'm 30. God, and the truth is that I can do vision boards and I can do strategic plans and, and maybe I should do some of that. Maybe that gives me some wisdom and I can discern some things from you, but God, the truth is that many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's will stand. And so God, let us not be consumed with the seduction of the future. But let us trust you in the middle moment. May we embrace what it is that you've already ordained for our future. We know that you've called us out. We know that you've called us to change this area. We know that you've called us to do great things. And that's not coming from a grandiose place. That's simply the mission of your kingdom. It's not about us. It's about what it is that you're inviting us into. But God, we cannot manipulate that. Forgive us. God, forgive us for making an idol out of our visions. God, we repent for making an idol out of purpose. And in reality, we're just trying to build whatever way we can build to get other people to like our life. The pride of life really but God we repent of that we just want to be a people who faithfully do the things that these followers did that you invited them to do and God we recognize we don't we won't always get it right thank you that we're under no pressure to be perfect you're not calling us <clears throat> into getting it right all the time. You're calling us into obedience and to surrender and to trust. Help us to trust you. You are God, we are your people. And if we live surrendered to your spirit, you'll take us from here to there and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.